Hi, folks. Keith Jones for Front Row Knowles. We appreciate your listening to our podcasts and all the things that uh, go into what we do in terms of watching Florida State Athletics. But we would remind you that part of Florida State Athletics is certainly Seminole Boosters. Uh, athletics can't do what they do without the support of you and without the support of Seminole Boosters. So we encourage you, if you're not already a member, consider joining Seminole Boosters. If you are a member, consider increasing your participation. Without Seminole Boosters, Florida State Athletics is going to be run of the mill. With Seminole Boosters, Florida State can work their way towards elite. And oh, by the way, they're doing pretty good on the football field. They're doing pretty good on the pitch for soccer. Uh, and they're uh, getting ready to do good on both the men and women's side on the hardwood. Join Seminole Boosters, support Seminole Boosters, and continue to support Front Row Knowles. Go Knowles! Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. KJ, it is good to see you. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Although I didn't see I didn't see the maze coming. I was a little bit surprised in the uh in the national championship game. I don't mind admitting that. Well, you got to tip your cap to them, certainly. Their their defense was really good. It felt like they controlled it didn't feel like they did. They controlled the game. Had Washington ever been able to get a lead? And I know that's a big if. Maybe it plays out differently because I'm not convinced Michigan is is built to come back if they're down 24 to 10 at halftime. But they didn't have to worry about that. And for the first time in my lifetime, Keith, and since I think the Korean War or maybe before, Michigan has an outright national championship. <laughs> the thing that jumped out at me and then we'll move on was just simply the fact that Washington was one play away. And they had a couple of three times to make that play and they just missed it. And um, so hats off to Michigan. They are the national champions, uh, runner-up to Washington. FSU finishes tied for number six in the AP poll. And we'll turn the page and get ready for 24. Did you watch the game thinking, oh, FSU could absolutely compete with either of these teams? They could absolutely compete with Travis. I'm not sure that they could compete with Tate or with, with anybody else. But, yeah, Travis Jordan is healthy. And uh, Verse and uh, Bethune are there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. FSU can play with any of them. Not saying they would win. Certainly not saying they would win, but they could play with any of them. I'd look at it the other way rather than the offense. I feel like the defense, I mean, that was where Michigan imposed its will in the first quarter of the game when they just were breaking long runs. And it, credit Washington, they, they shored that up a little bit. But that, to me, is the part that just got discounted in this whole conversation was what FSU's defense might be able to do while waiting for the offense to do something. No, no, you're very correct in that, particularly Florida State's rush defense. Uh, you know, the last three or four or five ball games, uh, that unit really performed well. We're going to talk with a college football. I, I don't know if he's, I'm going to call him the voice of college football, given his longevity, but Tim Brando is going to join us. He was the first host of college game day in the 80s before it started going on location. And he's been with Raycom and on top of ESPN. He's now with Fox. I mean, but 
I think nowadays without Keith Jackson and Brent Musburger doing it, Keith, I don't know if there's anybody that that more embodies college or, or embodies isn't the right word, but that I associate more with college football than maybe Tim. There's not anybody that has that doesn't wear his loyalty to his network on his sleeves like Tim. Uh, you've got some other guys that have been a long time with ESPN or some other network that understandably support the network. But Tim's always been one that has been very, very independent, very vocal, speaks his own mind. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that Fox loves using him because Fox has always been a little bit that way, uh, at least on the sports side of things. We normally are joined by our Osceola insider, and I'll remind you to go to the Osceola.com for the latest on Florida State Athletics. We're not going to have Bob or Kurt or Jerry or any of the team join us. They're busy. They're they're chasing the transfer portal around, and and literally it, it changes second to second, right? But we'll get them on next week, and we'll wrap up what Florida State's done in the portal. we got about a minute and a half here in this first segment, and then Tim Brando will join us, and that'll be a much bigger picture conversation. General thoughts, Keith, on what Florida State has done so far in the portal, if you've been paying attention to it? Uh, Pleased. Uh, Again, haven't paid a lot of attention. Uh, But one of the things that FSU under Coach Norvell has done is is they've been very quiet. Uh, They don't, uh, you know, you don't hear a lot of kids talking about, I'm committing out of the portal. They just sign out of the portal. In other words, the, the way that they attract and have kids come in is different than you do with high school seniors. Uh, now, maybe that's the way with everybody else. I don't pay attention to, to most other folks, but um, every every day, every other day, you hear about someone of significance that's come in, and, and obviously as school has started and as kids have enrolled early, uh, you're getting an opportunity to meet some of them. Well, as you and I are talking, they've landed three defensive linemen, a couple receivers, running back. What they haven't done is secured an offensive lineman. Uh, and there's a lot of OL coming back, but uh, more than that, they need a linebacker or two. So we'll see how it finishes up, but they're in the top 10 when you look at the composite on transfer ranking. So again, go to Osceola.com for the latest on that. We'll uh, we'll reconvene with them next week, but you're going to thoroughly enjoy this conversation with Tim Brando. Uh, again, the voice of college football, I'll call him that. He joins us next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. And we fire open the uh, Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to national sports commentator and a familiar face, certainly to college football fans, and Tim Brando, who's kind enough to join us. Tim, how are you today? I'm good, fellas. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, happy to be with you. Uh, another football season in our rearview mirror, and uh, some people, friend of, friends of mine that know I do basketball, are like, we're, we're, we're transitioning. And I said, where you been? I've been out there doing games since early December. So, but... Um, but the beat goes on, right? Uh, just move the calendar and go from the oblong to the round, and uh, and that's where we are right now. Good to be with both of you. As you we watched we the appreciate game last it. Night, as you watched the game last night, Timmy, uh, what, what jumped out at you? The stage, I thought, for the first time, I was a little surprised by it because uh, Michael Penix was just so sharp in the Texas game. I mean, that game shouldn't have been close. A variety of kind of crazy things happened, a rule that should be changed. Uh, another NCAA gaffe, you know, probably some 
women's soccer coach uh, implemented that clock situation with an insurance. You know, the, you know how the rules committee with the NCAA works, how that happened, but but also some shoddy, shoddy play calling with a two touchdown lead and some bad clock management. You know, allowed Texas an opportunity to steal a win. I mean, that game was dominated by Washington and Penix. I thought almost threw a perfect game, and uh, and I really felt that uh, Michigan was going to have a hard time transitioning from trying to defend Alabama to going to have to defend uh, a guy that is uh, as pinpoint in, in his accuracy as Penix with that many great receivers. And I mean, other than the 2019 LSU team, I don't know of a team that was loaded with more wide receivers than that one. I saw them twice this year and they were, I saw them when they didn't play well and they still won. And I saw them play really well another time. Um, I thought Washington would win the game. I thought the winner of the Texas Washington game was going to win it. Uh, I really did. Um, Michigan to me was uh, one dimensional, but they were awfully good at that one dimension. And that was clearly the deal. And I also thought Michigan's sense of identity and sense of belonging on that stage probably came with the, this being the third year in a row that they played, you know, in the CFP, uh, this, this, this team from Washington, uh, has played in some big games, yes, but not on a stage nearly that large for two consecutive weeks. They just didn't transition from the semifinal stage in New Orleans to the championship stage as well as I thought. Um, Penix's adrenaline uh, had him overthrowing. Um, I thought Michigan confused him with some of their defensive looks. And uh, even though he got pressure from Texas, he was not affected by it. He was really affected by the pressure last night, and that was the difference of the game. Michigan's defense, uh, Jeff Minner uh, did a great job. I mean, the defensive coordinator for Michigan did a hell of a job, and um, Sharon, Sharon Moore called a great game for, for Michigan, um, and, and they deserved to win the game. Uh, they, they, they dominated. I mean, in the fourth quarter, they came back. After really, I thought the adjustments by Washington defensively had been made, to give their offense a chance. All you just kept thinking, when's that big play going to come? And it really never came. And when it did, they had a flag. So um, yeah, they, they, they had a lot of uh, opportunities to, uh, to pull that thing off, even though they had been outplayed again, and they just didn't have um, the capability, I think mentally to get over that hump, but you got to credit Michigan for that. They, they forced Penix to play in his head faster than he wanted to play. He didn't have the same composure, the same presence in the pocket that he had against uh, Texas. So now the the four team playoff is in the rearview mirror, and we move to twelve teams. But you know, if you come on a show that's entitled Front Row Knowles, Tim, <laughs> we've got to ask you about the Knowles fade, and and you're not shy with your opinions about anything. But right. you are independent compared to KJ and I, who obviously have a close affinity to Florida State. So, right, right. Uh, just kind of your thoughts on on the way the season finished up related to Florida State and just the playoff in general with FSU being omitted. Well, the, the disingenuous nature of the CFP reached, uh, uh, you know, its zenith, I think, with the lack of transparency in the selection process. And that's why I uh, was so staunchly behind Florida State's frustration. And it's not like I haven't been there before. I've I've been railing against the CFP and the BCS since the beginning of time. This is nothing new. I've been, I think, refreshingly consistent on the screwed up postseason that college football has always had. 
Uh, and, and yeah, I think um, if guys like me hadn't done that, I don't think we'd be going to 12 as quickly as we are or that we might go to 16 soon after that in the new TV deal, which I believe we will go to 16 by 2026. And I don't want to be credited for it. I just think that somebody has got to take that mantle and and just say, look, this is wrong. And it's, uh, you know, I'm mad as hell and I don't have a dog in the hunt. Um, I'm mad as hell because I love college football and I hate seeing it uh, become a mockery of itself. Uh, and and that's, what it's, that's what it's done to itself. And that Florida State is not in uh, and Alabama is in wasn't my issue like it would be for you. My issue was if Florida State's not in, tell me why they're not in. And they never did. They really never did. Um, they wanted to invoke, the, you know, in principle, this nebulous paragraph at the end of their criteria talking about if said player is injured and this could alter or impact, affect the outcome of a game, that's totally subjective. We all know that. I mean, just the very reading of it makes me nauseated. Uh, that's just a, that paragraph is code for if we're in a pickle, we'll pick whoever the hell we want. I mean, that's what that means, <laughs> you know, and up until now, uh, it really didn't come into play, but it did this time because Alabama did the unthinkable and the committee was counting on Georgia winning the game. I have spoken to people on that committee because I respect some of the committee members. I do not all, but some, and, and, and I'm sure Florida state's people have been saying, okay, tell us what happened. Tell us what happened. Does anybody, I can't, I'm not going to name names, but just know this. If Georgia had beaten Alabama, Florida state would have been in. Because Alabama beat Georgia, Texas had to be in because of the head-to-head. So the outlier became Florida State. Sorry. So just say that. If that was the conversation, and I'm here to tell you, it was the conversation. I know that for a fact. That was the conversation. Then Boo Corrigan should be man enough, and whoever's in that position should be person enough, woman enough, man enough. If Condoleezza Rice is on it, let her say it. But just tell us what the deal is. We're in trouble. We only had four spots, and Alabama won. We're not going to take Georgia now. We're going to take Alabama. we got to have an SEC team. And if we've got to have an SEC team and that team lost to Texas, we got to take Texas over Florida State. Tell us that. Just tell us that. And I'll feel okay with it. You know, I, I won't agree with it. But I'll be okay with it because they won't tell us, Keith and Tom, because they won't tell us it is a corrupt process and it has been corrupt. It remains corrupt. And if they don't change the criteria and if they don't change their approach on how they come to the determination of who's in and who's not in, it won't matter that we go to 12 teams or to 16 teams. They're going to do the same damn thing, only they're going to do it multiple times to multiple other Florida states. So we got to remove the veil of impropriety to this process. And the only way to do that is to either completely overhaul, okay, the criteria slash, I would, I'd rather get rid of that word altogether and just say rules. We need rules, real rules, okay? Meet those rules and you get in, Okay. And try to remove as much as you can of the ifs and the woulds and the shoulds and the coulds. And let's get it back down to who earned their, their way on the field. 
as much as we possibly can and get some of these damned athletic directors off your committee. I don't want to see a committee with 12 people that has 10 of them who are involved in intercollegiate athletics in an administrative manner for any of the Power 5 schools ever again. Ever again. This is not the NCAA Tournament Basketball Selection Committee. I can see doing it for that because we're talking about 68 teams and we're slotting in at-larges to go along with teams that are automatic bids. That works there. It does not work when you're talking about subjectively trying to pick 12 teams, four teams, 16 teams, when you've got 133 to choose from. Okay? It, it just it does not work. So I want a blue-ribbon panel made up of people that we know about and that we know know the game. And I want somebody to speak on behalf of that committee and tell us exactly what the content of the conversation was about when telling us why certain teams got in and why certain teams didn't. And if you don't have anyone that's capable of doing that or wants to do that, then stick some cameras and some microphones in that committee room and let us watch it. It would be golden television. It would get great ratings. You could sell the hell out of it. Dr. Pepper would buy more ads. Okay, let's go. But we got to fix it. It's just, it's, it's, it's an abomination. Timmy, a report came out uh, as we're talking on Tuesday afternoon, evening, that there may be a renegotiation with ESPN as opposed to the <laughs> yeah. NFL model where you have two or three networks. Uh, yeah. I know you have uh, some feelings about that as well. <laughs> well, I believe that report came from Beat Thamel, who was uh, promoting Heather Dennish's article. Am I correct when I say that? Correct. Yeah, Correct. well, consider the source. You know, everybody, everybody's tried to work a deal. There was a story last week from Front Office Sports. Uh, the media critic there, Mike McCarthy, writes for them, and he suggested in a piece that Fox was doing uh, its deal to control it themselves. So obviously the two major entities here that are most invested in college football, one being the company I work for, Fox, the other being ESPN, they're trying to, as they say, get an edge in, in, in dialogue during the negotiation process, which is uh, about to hit full bore here in the offseason. There's a committee, okay, made up of a number of the commissioners that are on the television committee for the future. Mike Oresco, the outgoing commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, is one of those. And I don't know who else is on it, but I know Mike is one of them. Um, my guess, and again, this goes back down to uh, – the administrators who govern the sport, it's out of my league. I'm not one of the suits. I just do have an idea of what's going on and what the circumstances are. And I don't believe either. This is just my opinion, okay? I know I work for Fox. Forget that. This is an observation from somebody who's been in this business for a long time. In the aftermath of what happened this year and recently with the college football playoff and with the economics of our industry and our country being where it is, I don't think Disney or Fox as one uh, as one institution, okay, is going to have the kind of revenue that that committee wants, okay, for the totality of the college football playoff. From what, from what I'm hearing, they're talking about 50, 70, 75 million per game. Okay, with, with 12 teams, that's seven, that's seven games. That's seven times that number, seven times 60, 50 million dollars per. You know, I don't know if you've been reading what I've been reading about, you know, the Disney Corporation or reading what I've been reading about the economy in our country, but 
you know, and plus, I think most people that are involved in college football right now do realize that the NFL was smart enough to spread the wealth and make sure that every network was involved and every network was cooperating with the other network to cover the National Football League the way it gets covered. And the blueprint for what they've done uh, traditionally in television, fellas, that's the way to go. I mean, if if college football wants to to grow exponentially and get all of the market value that it deserves, I think that's what they're going to wind up having to do. But but I'm not surprised that that story broke today or late last night because, uh, as I said, a, a week earlier or four or five days earlier, front office sports uh, had a headline about um, uh, Fox doing the same thing. So we got a lot of time between now and that deal being done. Trust me, <laughs> you'll probably see about 20 more stories uh, between now and the time an agreement comes down. We're talking with Tim Brando, and Tim, that that ties into a, a bigger question related to Florida State's future. We're going to take a break and come back, and yeah. uh, I'll ask that question right after this. Uh, stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ, and we're pleased to be joined by uh, Tim Brando. And, and Tim, before the break, you were talking about ESPN Fox and it feels like that's where college football is headed to SEC is ESPN Big Ten is Fox the question we care about here related to the economy and economics Mm -hmm. is what is Florida State's future they just you know they've got a lawsuit with the ACC they want to compete at the end of the day they want to get what they feel is fair based on what kind of product they are Mm -hmm. So, so where do you see the ultimate end for Florida State as we're just at the beginning right now well, look, what, what um, uh, and I think a lot of fans around the country uh, misunderstand a lot of what's going on there because this story became a, centered around Florida State, became much larger after they were left out of the college football playoff. And so a lot of people that don't really keep up as closely as we do think, oh, boy, that's sour grapes. They're just so pissed off. They want to get out of the – no, this was, this was going on way before the start of the football season, as you, you guys know and I know. So. I think with this being now thrown uh, into the laps of the courts and the lawyers for both entities, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see because um, you're not alone. You're just the most vocal and the only vocal one of those within the ACC that want out. And given the financial aspects of that deal, we can certainly understand why uh, Florida State and um, Clemson and Miami and Virginia, North Carolina, all those schools would like to, to, to get a bigger piece of the financial pie. It's just Florida State right now is, um, is running interference for those other programs within the ACC. Um, I'll be very interested to see how the, the courts rule on this because it could open a huge Pandora's box. If there's any, any um, success on the Florida State side of things, then then we're going to find out what a grant of rights is really. uh, Can you enforce a grant of rights? Because I think that's what's being argued here. How can you enforce this? I mean, I think that's the, the essence of the, the legal Mm -hmm. terminology that um, 
uh, Florida State's lawyers are trying to point out. And was all of the information being made ready to all of the institutions as they were going through the process of agreeing to the, the grant of rights. And that's another one that is way outside my uh, legal or lack of legal purview, but it's going to slow things down a little bit and probably put FSU and the ACC in a situation of of probably having to continue to wait it out through maybe another season, unless something cataclysmic happens to settle this thing, which which tells me that's where both sets of lawyers would probably like to go. You know, before we get to next season, let's have some kind of settlement with an arbitrator of some kind. Uh, so it's going to be a wild and wacky off season. And, but, but that arbitration and, and, or, and or settlement is either going to sustain or become the death nail uh, of the ACC as we know it, if in fact that comes to fruition. And even though those other schools have been really quiet, um, fellas, the, the bottom line is uh, the line to pick up those schools that I just mentioned, uh, whether it's, whether it's uh, the Big Ten or it's the Big 12. I think the Big 12 could step forward in a heartbeat. Everyone thinks it's either Big Ten or bust for the, for the Seminoles. I don't think that's necessarily the case. There could be added value brought, if, if, and, and it could up the ante for the Big 12 potentially. Is, as long as the ACC, as long as that deal, the grant of rights is gone, then you open the floodgates for the Big 12, who, no, it doesn't offer now the kind of money that either the Big Ten or the SEC does. But you'd have to say Brett Yormark's got them pointed in the right direction. I mean, those schools are going to be making more money per school than they were making with Oklahoma and Texas in the league. They're going to be making more with them out of the league beginning next year. So it's it's not like the Big 12 is, uh, you know, is poverty stricken. They're just not at the same level right now that either the Big Ten or the SEC are. And the potential leveraging here and I'm sure Florida State is banking on this. Hey, hey, Big Ten, how would you like to be, you know, in the in the Florida corridor? How would you like to see that footprint be part? I can see that. And uh, does the SEC act on that? Listen, it's um, it's about survival now, fellas. I mean, it is. And you, the two of you, are at the epicenter of it. Okay, so this this story goes well beyond just Florida State versus the ACC. Okay, it is. A decision on this could tip the scales in terms of where college football in the foreseeable future is going to be seen and how the the, the uh, landscape of college football geographically is going to play out uh, in the short and long term for a, <laughs> forever, really. So this is a, a landmark case that we have in front of us. That I would anticipate could get settled in how that settlement goes and, and uh, who can come away thinking that they won. I have no idea. You, you'd have to get someone on a lot smarter than me. Tim, you were just getting in the business at the national level when Oklahoma and Georgia yeah. filed suit against the NCAA. And yeah. most people have forgotten about that completely. Do you have any idea how many times I have to tell people that the NCAA yep. has no financial uh, stake in division one college football at all. And they have no idea. I mean, they have no idea. I've had, you're so right. And with and people, it was like, duh. I mean, I, there would have been no ESPN college football 
if that lawsuit had not gone in favor of Georgia and Oklahoma in a Supreme right. Court case one, three to two, by the way, okay, three to two by the Supreme Court. And uh, the following year, I was freelancing while living in Baton Rouge, working games for ESPN. And uh, in 86, College Football Association was formed and the CFA primetime game included me on the sidelines and hosting from the site. That was a year before we started game day. Most people believe college game day began when Corso started putting headgear on in 1993. No, we, we were doing it in 1987 with Tim Brando, Bino Cook, and Lee Corso. And, um, uh, you know, that, that that's it's not like we were in the Ice Age back then. We were the little cable that could. We had no idea we were going to turn it into the 1,200-pound 12, gorilla that it is. But without that court case, without that court case Keith and Tom, without it, um, my career wouldn't have taken off. I mean, right. that, that I needed that. A ton of us that are, from my generation needed that to happen. Otherwise, we would have just been watching Keith and Frank call that one game, you know, every week, courtesy of the NCAA. So, and, and Tom uh, and I would have never done our work with Sunshine Network and Sun Sports. There you go. When all that yeah. started as well. There now, you go. I mean, you, it, you were a little larger than we were, Timmy, but that's okay. But I, that's but okay. I, you're right. We lived it. We absolutely lived it. Uh, it at your level and at mine, no doubt about it. Tim, we'll let you go uh, on this. Uh, we're, you know, so close. We can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. I think yeah. the basic concern from Florida State fans are what they want. They want to know that whenever the, the music stops on this game of musical chairs, that FSU has a seat at the table. I mean, yeah. You as an independent party can really appreciate what Florida State is and how it stacks up against the – There's plenty of huge college yeah. football brands. We feel like Florida State's one of them. What do you feel like? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you were thrown around like a rag doll this past year by the committee, and you're 10 years removed from a national championship, and you're one of the proud programs. What Bobby Bowden did with those 14 straight seasons, finishing no less than number five in the AP poll, this is one of the great runs in the history of the college game. And here we have uh, people in my business using TCU and Cincinnati as comparisons for your program, that was beneath contempt, okay? That was dereliction of duty on their part. Uh, there had to be and should have been someone that said, whoa, you know, just hang on, all right? And that particular day, that Sunday, uh, and I have no problem saying it even now, I, you know, I... <laughs> I don't know how Reese Davis has, I don't know how he does that Tuesday night show with the committee chair asking the same questions and getting non-answers, but he's been doing it for years. So it's, you know, he deserves the purple heart having to do that damn show. But they were, all of them, with the exception of Booker McFarland, placating to the almighty Southeastern Conference and its commissioner who used uh, three segments on game day the day before specifically to have his own filibuster that would beat Huey Long, the populist governor in Louisiana, for conviction about why the SEC deserved not just one but two teams in the day before. And why? Because, oh, we, we are the best four, not the most deserving. Channeling and allowing that mentality, that, that premise, that Florida State was most deserving 
uh, as Cincinnati was two years ago, and TCU was last year, was historically one of the great disservices ever thrown at Florida State by anyone in media. And uh, those guys are friends of mine. I respect them all. But with the exception of Booger, who, by the way, does more pro football than he does college football. I mean, he was like the Lone Ranger on that set. And thank God he was there to offer a different view and to say this is a travesty because it damn sure was a travesty. We appreciate your insight. Uh, you know, we're certainly neutral observers. Uh, but you've <laughs> this a while. We appreciate what you've done for the game of college football. The reason we're talking right now, we all love college football. And yeah. uh, we, we want it to be better, not worse. So uh, thank you for being vocal about it. And thank you for your time. Well, well the one thing that I'll always say, I've, I've, I've always felt this way. It's true. To stay silent is the worst thing to do. If you see something that's wrong, you see something that's being done and it's done incorrectly. If you care about your business, you care about what your passion really is. If you remain silent when you see an injustice taking place, shame on you. And uh, I've always been that way. That's probably why I've had to work at four different networks in my 40 years of national television. I'm sure I've uh, ruffled some feathers with many suits and, and some smoke-filled rooms through the years. But, you know, they pay us to say what we see, uh, whether it's on the field or in those smoke-filled rooms. And, um, you know, what happened here was wrong. And um, even though the playoff itself had uh, two great games, it's easy for fans to say, oh, well, you know, they got it right. BS. No, they didn't. No, they did not. One team lined up and played every game thinking that if all they had to do was do what they had to do, and that was go out and win. And they did it with a second team quarterback. They did it with a third team quarterback because all those other players anted up. They anted up and played at a higher level so they could continue to win against good teams, really good teams to close it out. That was wrong. And um, and to say anything otherwise is just uh, admitting that you stayed silent on something that was an injustice. And I'll always do that. I, I always looked up to Charles Crothammer. I think that was his quote. To stay silent on such matters is um, is the worst possible sin. So I'll always say. Tim, you're the best. Take care, fellas. Good seeing you. Happy New Year. All right. We'll see you. More Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Time to finish up and time to react. And he, he's sort of like uh, one of those know those christmas toys you just pull the string and it dances or sings for a while you just throw one question you put the ball on the tee and then you walk away and team's still going 10 minutes later and it's good stuff he he reminds me so much and this will be no stretch to our listeners reminds me so much of gene deckerhoff uh, guys that got into the business early have been in it for 40 45 50 years uh, they know the game uh, they understand behind the scenes uh, they can express themselves. They're well-read. They have opinions. They talk to people. Uh, they're aware. Uh, I've I've had the privilege of knowing Tim for about 20 years now. Uh, I don't know him well. We're not best friends. But uh, when I reach out to him, he responds. 
and, and I'm very thankful and flattered by that. And I've thoroughly enjoyed what him watching him and listening to him, I, obviously, as we have with Gene. And, and I had the privilege of working with Gene, as, Gene, as you do uh, and did. It's, um, it's just refreshing to see someone that is not strictly by the book and can think for themselves. And, and Timmy does that very, very well. Well, Florida State fans over the last month or so have grown to love uh, Booger McFarland because he was the one on TV defending Florida State. But on social media, Tim was certainly uh, waving the he was carrying the spear for Florida State, as you just heard. And uh, I appreciate that he's that vocal about it, whether it was Florida State or not. And I know I wouldn't have been as passionate about it, Keith. But if another team, my whole thing about this was not that it was Alabama over Florida State. It was that Alabama had a loss. If Alabama was unbeaten or if Florida State was left out because there were four other unbeaten teams, it's a different conversation. Doesn't mean I'm happy about it but it's a little bit more reasonable than what happened. So I, I hope he's right. I hope people are listening. I hope they do change the criteria rules. Rules would be better. That's what we have in pro football, Keith. It's pretty spelled out. They don't get a committee together to decide the day before the playoffs start, who's going to be in. They look at it and say, okay, head to head. Okay. Record in the division. conference. Then they get the point differential. It's spelled out in advance. So you know where the chips are going to fall. Isn't it amazing that you've got uh, athletic directors from conferences that have, along with the chancellors or the presidents, within the conference, you have rules. You don't have a selection committee at the conference level. You have rules. And we talked about it. There were scenarios where Florida State might not have been able to play Louisville, even if Florida State was a one-loss team and someone else. I mean, we have rules. If we're going to have rules at the conference level, shouldn't we have rules at the CFP level? That's the basic point, and I 100% agree. I mean, I'm excited about going to 12 teams, Keith, but I'll be honest, I don't see the ACC getting more than one team in, and that's whoever wins the league and by rule has to be in. If you look at it this year, it would have been 10 teams from the big and the SEC, and it would have been FSU and Liberty. And I'd love to make the case that FSU goes – 11 and one next year and plays a really competitive conference championship game, but they lose and they're 11 and two, or maybe they go unbeaten in the regular season. They lose the championship game and they're 12 and one after this year. There's, there's no guarantee they're in whoever wins the league is in. And after that, it's to the committee and the beauty pageant, unless we change this. And that's the unfortunate part. And we didn't have time to get into it, but that also leads to the other um, parallel. You know, we talked about Florida state, you know, not, getting the bid we talked about you know um uh, the, the potential networks and the renegotiation of the media rights and whether it'll be one network or two networks or three networks <laughs> pardon me the one thing we didn't talk about is are we going to go to a super conference or two super conferences and are we going to we're going to have the top 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 as opposed to 133 um that also is something that will make its way through conversation in, in the weeks and months and, and potentially years ahead. I thought one of the most interesting things Tim said, and I haven't, I'm sure it's out there. I haven't paid that close attention to it or seen much of it. He said, it's going to be 12 teams for two years. And then because there's two years left on the current deal, they got to figure it out. And then you have the new deal that starts and we're looking at a 16 team playoff. Now he didn't say definitively, but he indicated that it's heading that way. That would be a really quick change. If we got to 16, two years after doing 12. It would, uh, but, you know, there were plenty of people that said we should do eight or we should do 16. 
So those two uh, thought processes were out there. I think uh, agreeing to 12 was really just a compromise because again, as we've talked about, it was supposed to be 12 this year, but thanks to um, a lack of leadership, in my opinion, of the ACC, uh, that got tabled and therefore it got put off. And as a result, Florida State and the ACC have suffered because of that bad decision a couple of years ago. I'm excited about getting to 12, though. I, w- I will say that. Hey, you know, we've only got a couple minutes left, Keith. This is this is totally different. And, and folks, I mentioned at the top of the show, we didn't have somebody from the Osceola join us this week. We'll make good on that next week. Go to theosceola.com to follow Florida State and what's going on in the portal there as, as FSU is doing well again, trying to fill needs and, and revamping the roster. Congratulations to Warwick Dunn for making the College Football Hall of Fame, Keith. I can't believe that he hasn't been in for 20 years, but at least they've gotten it right finally. Finally. And I'm wondering if there's ever been two players, in this case Warwick and Charlie Ward, that were roommates in college that ended up in the College Football Hall of Fame. I don't know that, but uh, I'll just throw that out there. But yeah, Warwick, very deserving. There are plenty of us, uh, and I don't have a vote, but there are plenty of us that thinks he ought to make the NFL Hall of Fame at some point in time. That's a little bit of a stretch, uh, but the College Football Hall of Fame is a slam dunk, and I'm glad he's in there. Yeah, I'm going to guess they're probably not the only pair of college roommates, but I bet they are the least vocal or most quiet pair of college roommates to both be in the College Football Hall of Fame. I think you're right. I think you're right. And again, as we're changing gears, Tommy, um, remind our listeners uh, the passing of of Bob Harbison. A lot of Florida State fans will not remember Bobby uh, because he retired in the mid-80s. But Coach Harbison came with Don Veller in 1948 and was a coach at Florida State all during that time, six, eight, ten years, however long it was, with Coach Bowden. He passed away at the age of 96. Technically, Tommy, I think I'm correct. We talk about Coach Bowden and how long he was here. Harvey was here a little bit longer, 37, 38 years. So uh, condolences to the Harbison family and and just celebrating what uh, Bob Harbison meant to the football program at FSU, even though a lot of modern-day folks, a lot of Seminole Nation, um, don't know the story, don't know the story, and that's unfortunate. Keith, that is well said, and uh, we're up against it. Thanks to Tim Brando for joining us. Uh, the Osceola Insider will be back next week, and uh, hope that your new year continues to go well. Cajun, we'll catch up again next week. Go Leonard Hamilton. Go Knowles basketball. There you go. He's Keith. I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles. <laughs>